Hi everyone and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Scottish Paddlecast from the Scottish Canoe Association. We hope you're all keeping well and we are delighted to be joined today by Evelina Menning, who is a performance kayaking coach within the Swedish Federation. She has a wealth of experience as a paddler and fairly uniquely is someone who has coached all the way from grassroots right up to world championship and Olympic Games level. So we're delighted that she's made the time to join us today all the way from Sweden. So thanks, Evelina. Hey, thanks for having me. So by way of warming you up and warming up the audience, um, listeners at home, uh, if you could paddle anywhere in the world with any people... Uh, where would you go? What would you do? Well, I think it's a pretty obvious answer when you're in spring kayaking. I would uh, I would paddle in Tokyo and I would do it next year and I would be first over the finish line, of course. <laughs> Is there any other answer to that question? <laughs> well, interestingly, we've asked that question to a lot of people and that is the first time anybody said that. <laughs> it was the first thing I, I thought about. Like, yeah, it's obvious. Okay. Which distance would you do? <laughs> oh, maybe the 500. 500, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay, very good. Listen, we're going to get into a bit about you and your background and your coaching and what, what you do these days. Um, but for yep. the listeners at home who maybe aren't as familiar with the world of sprint and all the amazing things that you've done over the last few years, could you maybe just tell us a little bit about how you got into paddling in the first place and, and kind of where that led you? Yeah, uh, I, I'm from a kayaking family, uh, so I, I really didn't have a choice to, to uh, start paddle or not. I was in a kayak the first time when I was a baby. And uh, my uncle is uh, Stefan Gustafsson. Uh, he's a um, former marathon character who, who's now doing like commentaries and stuff for the the marathon world championships and world cups and stuff. Um, so uh, he got me into kayaking when I was about 12 years old. And I fell in love with the sport and the uh, community and uh, yeah, never looked back. Uh, I was a track and field athlete back then and I switched uh, sports to kayaking and then I I've stayed <laughs> for the the last 15 years so you were track and field and then you were kind of not forced but encouraged into into paddling so so yeah. where did you start paddling and, and what was your progression like as a paddler at that time I started paddling in Vaxholm which, which is just outside of Stockholm and it was actually because they only had three girls for the uh, K4, for the Nationals. Nationals and uh, they wanted the fourth. And that was me. So I was really uh, not a talent. And I was slow and I, I fell in the water a lot. But I really enjoyed it. And I had so much fun and uh, got so many new friends and uh, yeah experiences. So I just... I just stayed for the community and and uh, the friends and then you know if you if you love something and you do it a lot you will get slowly better over time so i i went to a kayaking high school we have like a national high school for kayakers in sweden and i uh, went on to to paddle there and event eventually made it to the under 23 team after a lot of hard work and then i progressed into coaching when I was about 22, 23 years old, something like that. So I'm really interested in, in how people who've been really good level athletes then choose to transition into coaching. What was that journey like for you from 
under 23 level paddler into making that journey into coaching? Well, I think for me in my last years as a as a professional kayaker, I was feeling frustrated a lot because I I did the work, I put in a lot of hours, and I I uh, uh, changed my life to uh, get better kayaking. You know, I didn't want to parties, and I I uh, ate well and slept well and trained really hard, but I I didn't uh, get any better. I, or I just got a little bit better, but I felt like I wasn't uh, getting paid for the work that I that I did. So um, I was a little bit frustrated, and I tried to to learn more about uh, training and uh, tried to see how how I could get better. And then after a while, I just realized that yeah, maybe maybe I don't have the talent to be. Uh, to be a, a fast, you know, senior character, and uh, I realized that it was the training part of it that I really liked. So for me, it was just like a nat natural transition over to to coaching because I was always too nervous and I was always anxious before the races, and I didn't perform on the level that I uh, should have been able to do. So for me, it was an easy, easy choice, really. Um, and it was around the same time when uh, 200 meters for men became an Olympic event. And uh, at that time in Vaxholm, we had like five, six or seven guys that were going for the 200 distance and they needed a coach. And uh, I found it really interesting because we saw from the beginning that 200 meters being added to the Olympic program will would require new kind of sprint kayak training that that hadn't been done before. So it was a really nice challenge to take on. So it was for me. It was like I I felt like I couldn't get any better myself as a kayaker, and uh, yeah, the 200 meters seemed seemed like a great opportunity to really start start early to do something good and do something fun and something new that hadn't been done so yeah I had an opportunity to <laughs> to change a little bit so I did so I am desperate to explore what that new kind of training and what all that looked like but I, I suppose maybe there's there's a step missing that we should probably just cover off first so I, I'm imagining you didn't just walk out of your boat one day and then the next day start coaching Olympic paddlers where did no. where did coaching begin for you how did it all start uh, the first time, I mean, uh, in Sweden we have uh, the kayak clubs. They are non-profit organizations, and all the all the people working there are volunteers. So you don't get paid. And we have in the summer we have a summer school for kids where we do five days. They they get to learn kayaking, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's basically. Uh, just friends and it's always sunny and paddling and they are jumping in the water and they have so much fun and uh, when you turn maybe 14 15 you get to be a assistant coach or what you call it you know you're not you know giving them training programs more like carrying kayaks and you know turning paddles the right way when they go out and you know checking life west and stuff but i always thought that that was really fun so i helped a little with bit with the youth group at, at the club and I just 
thought that it was fun and I I have always liked training even for myself I always you know did my own training program just thinking about how how can I get better it was the same when I was doing track and field I did the 800 meters running so I always did my own programs and just tried to to find like how can I get better and how can I uh, do this in, in a more optimal way you know so I ha had been doing a little bit of that stuff and uh, when when 200 became an Olympic event for the men uh, we didn't really have had a coach at the club and we didn't really had a head coach federation that wanted to um, go for 200 meters they just like yeah we're gonna train the same way that we always have done uh, and Sweden is all about that threshold training you know 10 times 4 minutes you should get at least 15k and stuff like that and so we felt like oh maybe this won't work for the 200 meters you know so uh, I felt like I can do something good here so we reached out to my old track and field coach him and I started to work on a new 200 meter training program together so really interested that you started out I guess cutting your teeth as a coach coaching kids which is a, a great place to learn and then you moved into this really different space now some of our listeners at home aren't from sprint or even from from canoeing the 200 meter give people a sense of how that's made up how long does it take what kind of speeds what what, what do you need to deliver a really great 200 meter performance yeah, uh, 200 meter for the men, it takes about 33 seconds or something. You need to be really fast, of course, but since it's 33 seconds, you will also need to to work with the lactate. And it's it's not like 100 meter running uh, where it's just, you have to be fast, but you don't have to, you only have to last for 10 seconds, but here you have to last 33 seconds. And the way to do it is, uh, in my opinion, you have to be really strong, have a really good technique and get as much power as possible in each stroke. Uh, and then it's the first 100 meters you just go for speed and uh, the last 100 meters is all about keeping that speed for as long as possible. I mean, this is a little bit simplified, but basically you paddle get tired and you try to make it past the, the finish line and it was a lot different from the because before in the olympic program the men's had uh, 1500 and 500 meters it would take a little bit under two minutes for the men to go from that to 33 seconds it's uh it's it requires a little bit different training you know yeah i'm really interested in the fact that when you first started coaching these potential Olympic 200 meter paddlers, your first idea was to go back to track and field. So I'm, I'm really interested in a coach that immediately thinks differently. So what was it that you learned from track and field that you then tried to apply into kayaking? Well, I felt like in kayaking uh, in Sweden, we have five different speed zones. You know, we have, it's called one, two, three, four, five, and you have one that's really slow, you know, rest pace. And two is the speed that you go for when you go 20k or something like that. You can still talk to your friends, but it's you're moving. 
and the level three is the threshold training and then four is the race speed you go for like 500 meters and then five is the the last part or you know when you do a start or something that's max speed and i coming from track and field we didn't have the same system we had more like we go for a percentage of your max speed or something like that so i i felt that because before the 200 became an olympic event it was just like yeah you you do some starts and then you are like a naturally fast guy and then you can win the 200 i felt like we need more we and uh, the coach his name is uh, uh, Lunkan he's called Peter Lundström I worked with him for a few years and he he was focusing a lot on the speed endurance quality which was something that we didn't had but I I thought that we need to have this quality in kiking as well we can't go from you know do some threshold training and then do some sprints and then then expect to be good at 200 meters we need to be an, a larger number of uh, high speed level so what you what you should call it you, sh you should be able to can't be only the level three four and five it has to be you know a lot more and i thought that we had that more in in track and field and at we tried to talk to some cake and coaches and it was like, no, this, this won't be something. We don't think that the 200 is going to stay, you know, permanently or we don't know if it's, if it's going to be a big thing or, or stuff like that. So we won't change anything. So we thought like, yeah, we have to do something different. So I talked to that track and field coach and he was really into it. We did a good training program. But him coming from track and field, because they don't really have a, a tradition of doing more than one session per day. But they do a, a really long session. A track and field session can be like four hours. You know, you do some running, you do some some explosive stuff, and you do some strength training. Uh, so in the beginning, it was really hard because he wanted the kikers to do like four or five sessions. And if you're a spring kiker, you know that that's the level where that our like 13 years old train at for a pro athlete it's more like 15 set sessions every week or something like that so in the beginning we realized pretty fast that we can't leave all the training to the track and field coach we have to have uh, somebody who who knows kiking as well and uh, yeah that was me <laughs> Evelina, it's so interesting. Um, the thing I'm really like fascinated by, given how different the training, I suppose, historically or traditionally had been in Sweden, and then you come along having spoken to this track and field coach and brought this completely different approach to this event. Uh, I'm really interested, how open were the paddlers to this really new approach, given how different that would have been from everything they'd ever done before? And then as the coach, how did you kind of sell that to them how did you get them on board to to make them believe in in this new approach and the benefits that it could have yeah uh, firstly we had some characters like petter who i'm married to and a few other guys that were uh, they had just became a part of the olympic program so they had a good support from there and uh, the olympic committee was interested in them going for 200 meters because it was obvious that <laughs> that they didn't had what it takes to be good at thousand meters so uh, uh, and I think for them if you are if you are a explosive guy a fast guy 
you are not made for doing uh, 10 times 4 minutes in <laughs> in like a 15 kilometers per hour speed. So I think for them it was a really nice change to finally be able to do something that they were good at and something that they felt like they were getting better from. I think for those guys it was like a, a, a welcome change you know, to keep up the motivation and stuff like that. And the thing that uh, Lunkan did, the track and field coach, that was really good was that he did periods of six weeks uh, with a really clear goal. Like in six weeks, you are going to be this much better at in, in the gym or, you know, this much, much faster and be able to do this 10 more times than you can do today or be able to paddle 10Ks longer than you can do right now and stuff like that. So it was... We had really clear goals and we always, in the beginning, we always managed to to uh, keep up with those goals, you know, because when we changed the training, obviously the guys were uh, in really good shape already before. So we didn't, we didn't have to start with like some new kids coming in. They were experienced and had some experience in the national team and, and stuff like that. So for them, it was just we saw a good uh, development really fast and that made it easy for them to to keep going and keep motivating each other and because uh, we we try to explain everything really well and explain why you need to be able to paddle longer or be stronger or whatever the goal for the period was and i think that's that made it easy to to believe in the new system. We did some trials in the beginning where we just did more spring training, more start training, but it was pretty hard on the joints and <laughs> and muscles, you know, they were always tired, had a little bit of pain and stuff. So it, it was really good when we got the system going. Yeah, I was just um, <clears throat> taking some notes there while you were speaking and I was just struck by this really simple idea that well, we just have regular goals and regular checkpoints and therefore you feel like you're getting better and I suppose for for all athletes that that's something you can benefit from just having really clearly defined goals so you feel like you're progressing you spoke yeah. a lot there about um about kind of maintaining motivation and and so on now as an outsider to the sport whenever I've watched the 200s uh it always strikes me that it's this really tough event for a number of reasons but partly because um the any mistake you make is amplified so much so you've got to get your start right you've got to get your finish right you've got to get all these things right and you only get one chance to do it you know and it's all over in yeah. 33 seconds or whatever so I'm, yeah. I'm really interested in terms of maybe more of that psychological component to this how do you prepare paddlers to execute that one-off 33 34 second race to the best of their ability what, what does the training look like to prepare people for that uh, Firstly, uh, we do 200 meters a lot. We do race plans and we train on that distance, you know, a lot. Because some sessions, even when you have endurance sessions or stuff like that, you can do like a lot of 200 meters <laughs> instead of going for going on the watch or going for a longer distance. So you should, it shouldn't feel like a new thing when you're on the start line. You should be, it should be, you shouldn't have to think about what the start would be like or stuff like that you should know it by heart 
And then it's all about uh, what you should focus on. And for us, uh, I think with with all my athletes, it's just the same thing. It's just one thing. It's just keep the focus on the finish line. Don't look to the sides. Don't look at anybody else. Just look at the finish line. And when you cross the finish line, we can look and see which position you get in the race. Because there's only one thing you can do that will uh, optimize your performance. And that is keep your race plan, focus on yourself, and just uh, execute that, that plan that you have. Do the start like you have trained a thousand times. Do the transition, do the technique, do the... Uh, you know, we have some checkpoints during a race, even even for the... Like Petter, he has a race plan even for the 200 meters. You know, it's, it's not just start and finish, but we have, I think, four checkpoints during the race where he will focus on different things. Uh, and if he does his plan to perfection, he will be uh, satisfied after the race, even if he finished, you know, eight, because he, he did all he could. But, I mean, uh, Petter, he has... He has been on the podium uh, at championships a few times and he hasn't always been happy with his own, own performance. Of course, you're happy to get a medal. But if you don't feel like I have done everything I can, you won't be 100% uh, happy. So that's, that's I think, something that I work on with all my athletes. You know, we strive for the perfect race. And the only, <laughs> the only way to do that is to focus on yourself, you know. So we have a race plan, even for the younger kids that I coach, we have a race plan and we just look at the finish line and when they get nervous, it's just not not focus on how you feel or what's what's the wind like or what's the weather like, uh, who's paddling beside me. It's just, okay, but you're nervous now, just focus on what you should do because they know what they should do because we have done. Yeah, like Petter, he does some weeks maybe up to a hundred 200 meter uh, not races but you know he paddles the distance a hundred times you know so it's it's not it's not something something new and i think that's the key to to a great performance and then we have tried that in the team that i have helped with and for petter we have tried to keep the lowest level uh, as high as possible because you never know if you're going to have a bad day but if your if your uh, like your lower level is so high <laughs> that your bad day is enough to get you to the uh, world championship final or up on the podium or whatever your your goal is then you will be successful because we can't really control how we feel we can't control our emotions you know completely but we can control the training. So we just try to have a really high lowest level of training. So that, yeah, for example, Petter, he will, even on his worst days, he will still be a top level character. Wow, there is a lot in that answer. Um, I hope everyone yeah. at home is writing things down. Wow, that was amazing. <laughs> I've, I've just written down a, f- a few things that the listeners might want just to re- just reflect on because I'm certainly chewing over it. So you said it shouldn't feel like a new thing when you're on the start line. So you talked about, well, we do the 200 a lot. um, And there's this idea of representative practice design or learning design, where basically the thing we're preparing, we try and make the thing we're doing in training look as similar as we can to the thing we're going to have to do in reality. And I think 
sometimes in our sport we can forget the thing they're going to have to do we can get focused on the physiology and forget that there's a human being that's going to sit on a start line and they're going to be nervous yeah. and they're going to yeah do all these things I, I mean there's so much we could talk about there but i'm really interested because <laughs> because you are in this really unique position that you coach i mean undoubtedly high performance elite level paddlers like your husband um yeah but you also <laughs> coach kids and and you yeah. sort of touched on there something that I want to just explore for a tiny bit before the end of the podcast around. So obviously, you, training looks different if you're a high-performance Olympian than if you're a 15-year-old or 16-year-old or whatever. In terms of developing some of these skills, in terms of that ability to execute a brilliant race performance and getting the processes right, how, how do you go about creating that environment for younger paddlers as, as they're progressing through? For me, when I coach, I think it's really important to be uh, as serious with the young guys, like I am with Petter or any of the other uh, characters in the national team. Because when you're 13 or 14 going in for your first national championship, you will be just as nervous as Petter on the world championship. And it will be just as important for you to perform. So we just, I just try to have like a serious approach to their training as well. And if they're interested, they can ask me about, you know, um, diet or the mental training or the mental part of it all. But I think, I think for the kids, the, maybe the most important thing for them is to uh, get them to, to come to practice. Because w- once they are there, I can always find a way to motivate them I can always find something that will make them go <laughs> you know so uh, we try to work we do a lot of race plans with the kids uh, we we talk about the, what what the plan should be like and they have a plan for the 200 and the 500 and the longer races as well and I try to talk to them a little bit about all the parts you know because they are getting they are really nervous before the races but I mean that's a good thing because it it means that you care about it it means that it's important to you to do well and it means that you will get a little bit of adrenaline going so we we are not <laughs> we are actually not using the word nervous we are using the word excited so they are excited to race instead of they just you know nervous or afraid so I always say oh they say oh I'm so nervous no you're not nervous you're excited and after a while i say oh i'm really excited to to race tomorrow and we will always try to focus on the plan i mean i have been working with some some especially some girls that are so nervous they are just you know throwing up and they are not being able to eat breakfast and stuff like that and i think that's that's common even for you know top athletes and it's always the same thing. It's always focus on your plan, uh, focus on your warm up, and just try to keep keep the focus on yourself. Don't look at what others do and, and stuff like that, because I think that's the only way to be satisfied after the race. You know? Evelina, unfortunately, we are approaching the end of our time together, and we could undoubtedly <laughs> continue for another hour about this area um, for sure. Um, I, I'm wondering, you know, given your backgrounds, you know, you put it at the start forced into kayaking by your family and then your <laughs> progression through your kayaking high school into paddling at high level and then your, your progression as a coach and doing your apprenticeship and doing your doing your learning and all these sorts of things I, i'm wondering 
if you've got any advice or uh, things you've learned along the way for young coaches, either in sprint or in any of our disciplines or in any sport, in fact, coming through that um, that maybe advice you would have given to your younger self, perhaps? Well, I think something that has been really good for me is to kind of have a complete training philosophy. And I mean, it's not, it, it sounds a little bit complicated, but it's really not. Because if you think about it, you know what you think about training, you know, you know, you uh, because everybody will have a certain idea of how to train endurance or strength or stuff like that. And if you just think about it for a little bit, how you want to be as a coach and what you want to teach the the kids or the the pro athletes or whatever you you do, it will get a lot easier. And then it's just like if you don't know something, look it up. I mean, to be a coach, you don't have to know stuff because everything's you you can read a book you know everything's written down in books and it's it's really simple like that no you can just look it up and do a really good training program but if you have like an idea of what you want to do and uh, uh, how you want to do it and how you want to be seen it's a lot easier at least it was for me when I realized what kind of coach I wanted to be especially you know being a girl coaching the guys I know I'm a good coach <laughs> and I know I, I I know that I know stuff and that's that uh, makes it easy for me to yeah to to work with the guys or you know talk to the to other trainers or coaches or stuff like that so so that's will be my main main advice and then uh, get a mentor. That's really good. <laughs> Someone you trust. It doesn't have to be a coach, coach, but you know, a good leader. Because coaching is uh, about training, but it's also about you know leadership. Wow, there was uh, a massive amount there. We probably could have had another podcast on that last thing you just said there, to be honest. <laughs> so let's do another one, and we'll talk about that some more. That was amazing, and we've kind of come full circle. Um, you said yeah. towards the start, you said I felt like I could do something good here. And then you just talked at yeah. the end there about um, you realised that actually you were good and that, you know, you could easily coach Olympians and you could coach kids and you could coach everything in between and uh, wonderful and great yeah. advice there at the end. I've just written down a couple of things people might want to take away. There are thousands of things in this podcast, though, so I just encourage you to listen again or to write things down as, as you go through it. Um, so, some things that really sat out for me, the, the value... Um, for athletes in terms of having regularly clearly articulated goals and regular touch points for maintaining motivation this idea of creating representative sessions so sessions that look like the thing we're actually going to do like well if we're going to race for 33 seconds let's not have training that doesn't look like it let's have training that looks similar to that whenever we can yeah yeah learning to uh to be consistent but also to to learn to maybe rethink nervousness into excitement and try to be more on the excited side rather than the nervous side and that last part you just talked about there, this idea of having a really clearly articulated coaching philosophy, being able to articulate yeah. that and also having mentors and people around you to support you. So, Evelina, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. <laughs> um, thank you. Everyone, keep an eye out for future podcasts. Um, hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. And obviously, at, at the moment, uh, stay safe. Evelina, thank you so much. Thanks.